Have you ever pointed out things which could be done better only to be called a troublemaker? Or can you see loads of things in your day-to-day work which need to change, but trying to do so seems like more hassle than it's worth? Perhaps you're in a holding pattern, waiting until this person retires or that person leaves so that you can eventually start to make things better at work. This week, Dr. Abdullah Albietti joins me on the podcast to talk about how to make changes for the better to your work, your career and your life, and why settling for what is uncomfortable but familiar could be slowly ruining your life. He's done a huge variety of things in his career and says that you don't need any particular skills or to wait until the time is perfect to try to make things better. Just need to take a risk. We talk about the dangers of settling for the way things have always been done, holding out and hoping for a change in an organisation which, deep down, we know will never change, and how our mindsets around failure can hold us back from living our best lives. So join us if you want to find out how status, identity and fear can stop us from making the changes we know we need to make. How to know which battles to pick. For example, how do you know if it's worth staying and trying to make changes where you are, or if you just need to walk away? And join us if you want to find out the sort of risks that you can take in your work and your career, which will help you work happier and healthier. Just to let you know about a free download that's available for you this week in the show notes. In this episode, we talk about the importance of creating a successful life, not just a successful career. One way to do this is to work out what a successful working week looks like for you. In order to do this, we've created a downloadable tool called the Thrive Week Planner. This will help you plan out what an amazing working week would look like and then work out what changes you need to make. So click on the link in the show notes to download your free copy of our Thrive Week Planner Toolkit. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options, stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. You are not a frog, and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues, and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. Welcome to another episode of You Are Not A Frog and I'm delighted to have with me today Dr Abdullah Albiati. Now Abdullah's a GP from Leeds, he's the chair of the local RCGP Yorkshire faculty and he also runs two medtech companies, Medical Chain and My Clinic. How on earth do you fit that all in? That I think is the first question everyone's going to want to ask you as uh, well as being a GP. <laughs> I I think I'm very, very fortunate and I say to a lot of people I don't have the obstacles most other people have so I've got good health. Uh, I've got a very supportive wife. I don't have any children. I have both my parents supporting me, both her parents supporting me. I've never had any trauma physically or mentally. So I I think I've been very blessed and lucky and it was probably harder for me to fail than succeed, to be honest with you. That's a nice uh, mindset to have it. It's harder. It's harder to fail than succeed. I think if, if lots of people had that attitude, probably, or that mindset, then actually they would 
they would try more things. And and I sort of sort of wanted to to chat to you on the podcast about about I guess a lot of the the mindset that you've had with stuff because you've achieved an incredible amount against some quite difficult odds against I guess working in a system that likes doing things the way they've always been done doesn't like changing the status quo even even if it does like innovation it's actually quite hard to I guess it's hard in any system Mm. to to get innovation and and new stuff in and I thought it would be really good for our listeners to talk to you because whilst most of us are not doing stuff on the scale that you're doing in terms of running these you know massive businesses with you know million pound investments and all those sorts of things we are trying to make things better where we work for our patients for ourselves for our colleagues and I think you're probably better placed than most people to say actually how do you overcome stuff even when there's obstacles in the way how how do you make changes and have you always been someone that has tried to make things better ever since you were a little boy yes I I think so I mean it depends which way you look at it so from my perspective I'm always trying to right the wrongs or, or try to seek justice if you will but I think if you talk to other people that have met me they'll just call me a troublemaker because I will I will always find the things which which trigger me and just think look that's not right why are we not doing something about that and I think that's what attracted me to medicine is oh I can fix lots of things here and get involved and there's lots of um, good I can do and then obviously as you say you know even within our, our industry you come across so many barriers and challenges and we pay a lot of lip service, I think, when, and I think medical students or young doctors listening to this will know when we talk about audits or quality improvement projects, you get so excited, you put three, four months into it, you present it to the department, you're like, yes, I'm going to make a real difference here. And like that, that's fine, just uh, file that away and uh, we'll sign you off. And that's, that, for me, was so disappointing during my early years in medicine. It's like, but we can make a difference. Why are we not making a difference? What's the problem? And obviously you know that they're so bogged down with everything else that it's it's hard for them to have that view to see what opportunities there are available to them to make things better for themselves let alone for their patients what do you think of the biggest barriers you said actually they're so bogged down with the day job is that is that the only barrier is there other things get in the way I think the, the, the barriers are, are multiple unfortunately I think we get into this position where we we think digging in is better than challenging and sticking the course is better than reflecting on maybe we've not gone in the right direction and we should review and reflect on what decision we've made. And so I see a lot in, in day-to-day GP. So I'm, I'm still clinically active and I'm also part of the LMC here in Leeds. And we, we just had a meeting last week where we're seeing 25, 30% more patients face-to-face than we even did during you know, non-COVID times. And I would turn to my colleagues and I just thought, look, where is the line in the sand? You know, is it when it's 35%, 40%? You know, is it until somebody has a mental breakdown? Is it until one of our colleagues takes their lives? Like, why do we have to get all the way to the end, all the way up to crisis, push the panic alarm and, you know, sound the sirens? Why don't we just draw the line in the sand from now and say, this is it. This is the most we can do. And we need to look at how we can do things differently. And I think that's the, the biggest challenge we have is that, trying to galvanize people and tell them it's okay to say enough is enough. It's okay to say, I'm not happy with how things are. We need to do things differently because I can't cope in the system. And I think a lot of GPs, unfortunately, they try being the hero of their story or the hero of their community. And I I don't know how they do it. You know, I really don't know how they do it because for me, I, I can see the burnout and I can see that only bad times for their own personal lives, if not for them, then the loved ones that have to live with them at home is down the road. Mm. that's such an interesting point that you're making that that you've seen people stay discomfortably in familiarity they're more more comfortable just staying in something that that's really rubbish than they are actually making a change and going through that discomfort of making a change and and I'm wondering if it's for the reason that you pointed out right at the beginning is that often you're labeled the troublemaker rather than a change maker it is a troublemaker but why why else are we more content to stay how we are and slowly burn out in the process than actually make that change is it all to do with what other people think of us no I think it's it's less to do to be honest with you what people think of I think of doctors in general or what we think of our colleagues I think it's more to do with the standards we set ourselves because we're under this false impression that everybody else is coping okay 
everybody else is doing fine. So why am I going to now show my vulnerabilities and and show that I've, I've reached my point of attrition where I can't take any more? And I, I think that's a really dangerous position to be in. And it helps to have these kind of open forums or podcasts such as yours that people are open and transparent about, look, I am struggling here. And we and we all struggle for different different reasons. And I think the important thing to recognize is that when we are doing our, our kind of careers, it's you're going to do this for the next 30, 40 years. And if somebody who's just graduated, you need to plan for the next 30, 40 years. And I think that's probably a lot of what inspired me to move out of a traditional medical career because originally I was training to be a surgical trainee and ENT trainee in London. And then I locumed as an accident emergency registrar. And I realized when I was looking at my colleagues, this is not the life that I want. You know, I'm seeing them going home stressed, tired, breakdowns in relationships. And I just thought, you know, I can't embark on this journey as well. I think we're too smart. We're too hardworking. We're too well organized to fail because we're not going to make the maybe momentarily difficult decisions, but in the long run will really pay off. And, And thankfully, by looking further afield, I think there's so many opportunities with a fantastic degree that we all have. We just need to see what is that further afield thing we can do. I'd like, I'd like to talk about that. <clears throat> What's that further afield thing in a second? Just want to come back to this changing, changing what you're doing. I was talking to a trainee the other day that has had completed her training in her field and she was, you know, she was ready, lined up to a surgical job. And she decided actually she wasn't enjoying it. So she's changing to a completely different field, still in medicine, changing to go off and do some different training. And even though she knows that she has passed her training with flying colours and she's been accepted onto another training scheme and it's a positive decision for her, herself and her life and her enjoyment of work, there's this niggly thing at the back of her head that I failed because mm. I can't hack it. Mm. Do you I, think that's what lots of doctors think? I had that. I had that. So when I when I left surgical training, which was the most, I think the smartest thing I've ever done in my life is leaving surgical training. And it was the wisest decision and the most focused decision I think I've ever, ever taken. But the fallout on a personal level was, I can't believe I've succumbed to being a GP. This is what we spoke about in medical school. We said failed doctors become GPs. Even my father would say to me, so I'm Iraqi descendant, Middle Eastern uh, background. My dad said, but you're a surgeon. What are you doing? And there was a lot of, you know, swallowing pride, if I'm being honest with you. And obviously, I, I absolutely love being a GP, being involved in RCGP and LMC. But, but I would be, you know, untruthful. I'd be dishonest if I pretended that there was a version of me 10 years ago that would look down on GPs or take those referrals from GPs and ENT and then turn to my colleagues and say, look at these jokers. They can't get any diagnosis. They don't know what they're doing. So there is definitely this inherent tribalism within medicine as well, where you want to feel like, well, I'm coping and other people should cope the way that I am. And the truth is sometimes you need to just recognize, look, this is not the right path. This is not the right way to do things. And I'm really grateful. I recognize that early on, rather than I'd gone even more committed into that surgical specialty, even paid for even more exams and more courses and found the other way out. So I congratulate people that change their career, whether they change it at consultant level or before, you definitely did the right thing because you shouldn't be questioning, should I change my career? I think if that question pops into your head once, you owe it to yourself to try. And look, maybe it doesn't work out for you. Maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. That's fine. But at least you won't have that haunting idea in the background of, you know what, I'm I'm still not happy and I'm really disappointed I didn't try. And I think you'd be more disappointed for not trying than disappointed for trying and failing. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. I remember when I did my career change, <clears throat> had exactly that, that, that thing. Oh, I just couldn't cope with the job. Actually, it took me quite a while and quite a lot of unpicking and coaching stuff to realize it wasn't that I couldn't cope with the job. I could cope very well with the job. It was the fact that I wasn't using any of my strengths in the particular role I was doing. I wasn't doing what I enjoyed in the particular role I was doing. And as a result of that, I wasn't enjoying the job and I was feeling really disillusioned and you can be stressed and burnt out because you're not enjoying yourself and you're not using your strengths just as much as the fact that you're overwhelmed by, by too much work. So if we get this mindset of actually, I am choosing to do this particular thing because this suits me, it's using my strengths, not because the, the really resilient people can hack it in this job and they can't hack it in that job. That is such a dangerous, dangerous mindset to I, be I, in. I, I think we are so blessed with the degree that we've come out with, you know, 
when people say I don't like doing on calls, well, do a job that doesn't have on calls. You know, I don't want to see patients. Okay, we can do that instead, you know, microbiology or something. Yeah, but I find that boring. Okay, then you can go do GP. Yeah, but I think that's stressful. Okay, then go work for the MDU or the GMC. Yeah, but I don't like that stuff. Okay, there's legal work. You can be a, a health advisor to all these tech companies that are popping up every second. Yeah, there's so much variety that you can do. And, and worst case scenario, okay, you leave medicine. Everybody respects a medical degree. You know, and I think it's, it's lack of valuing yourself and valuing how much you're actually worth to society, let alone within a medical profession. And I think people need to be happy in themselves. I do think diversifying is the, one of the ways to survive at the moment because you use other bits of your brain that you don't necessarily always use just doing the face-to-face stuff. And I think your point about trying other stuff, I think a lot of um, people when they come to me for coaching or they're talking about career change, it's like, well, what else would I do? That There is nothing else. And I definitely thought that, what skills do I have? I don't have any transferable skills and and how am I going to know? And I think the, the problem is a lot of the stuff that's out there just isn't advertised. And so we think, well, what, what would I do? But it just takes a bit of trying and failing or not failing. It takes a bit of trying and realizing, oh, that's interesting. I've tried that role. I didn't like that one either. Brilliant. Yeah. That is fantastic. I haven't failed. What I've done is learned. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like doing that. Even the word failing, I think it, it's not a negative thing. And, and no. it, it's, it's such a different mindset between medics and non-medics. So in the non-medical world, failing is celebrated and there is no shame or stigma attached to failing. I tried this business idea, it failed. I tried this other idea, it failed. I hired this guy, he was useless, it failed. And then I finally, out of that culmination of learning, of course you learn from your failures, I finally tried number 710 and that actually worked for me. Whereas in medicine, God forbid you fail exam. God forbid you didn't get that cannula in first time. God forbid, you know, your suture came loose. There's so much shame. There's so much stigma associated with failure that we're so scared to even try or leave that area because of the shame that comes with failing. And I think, you know, for example, when I embarked on the things that I've done, huge, you know, capacity to fail and embarrass myself in front of my colleagues and I'm posting stuff online and could all fall apart. And, you know, you, you invite criticism and you invite people saying, well, what's he doing? What's this nonsense? He's not a proper doctor. What's he talking about? I can't relate to him. Or on the other side, oh, this is some kind of scam or sham or look what he's doing is he's left the NHS and look, don't worry about other people's opinions and whatnot. And don't worry about failing. Just be true to yourself. Try learn and and by all means fail and fail fast so that you realize actually I thought I was going to enjoy that I didn't enjoy that as much as I did but I did enjoy that element of it and I'm going to start digging and going more pursuing this area until you find your niche and what you actually enjoy but I think it's that shame and that stigma that's associated with failure that we need to get away away from because non-medics they fail all that and they just get on with it yeah and I mean you go on, I've done a sort of few business development courses and stuff like that. And, you know, the whole agile lean thing, it's all about failing fast, isn't it? And there's, there's people that I've talked to, they have an idea for a product and they put it out there before it's even been made so that they know if it's going to work or not. They say they can fail fast. And if you fail, the faster you can fail, the, the better your, your organization, the better your product, the, you know how things aren't, aren't going to work. And I think as, as medics, we want to create this wonderful career we're trying to find exactly what we want to do to make things perfect and we develop it and then we we do it and then we're surprised when it when it doesn't work which I guess is what is is what QI is trying to do isn't it is find the tiny little things and, and work out little little things that you can change but I think coming back to when we want to make changes in practice because everyone's burning out and we know we cannot cope and where's your line in the sand is it 35 is it 40 is it 60 is it 100 patients in the morning and what when are you going to say no the problem is I don't know what else I would do to to make this better and we tried something last year and it didn't work and everyone got really hacked off in the practice therefore we've just gone back to the old the old ways and we're so worried about doing something different. So how, how would you suggest that you bring some of that agile lean mindset into our work, into what we're doing so that we can just try stuff and actually not be, not be frightened of failing or actually look for where the failure is so that we can learn? I, th- I think from the examples I've seen, so I've seen a few practices which tried to implement some technology or some new way of interacting with their patients or some new way of structuring their appointments. Um, The reason it breaks down from what I've seen is that you didn't get the whole team on board. 
you know, you, you didn't get everybody on the same page. And it was some doctors in a corner making a decision that said, this is the way we're going to do it and dictated it to the staff that are actually the ones that are going to have to implement it. And you didn't really have them on board when you were doing that. And I think that the challenge is you need to have wholesale logistical changes to how you're running things. People don't recognize, people think that the problem is if we just switch appointments from telephones to you have to book online, that's going to solve everything. That's like, no, look, the reason we're getting absolutely slammed in GP practices is because patients are hammering the phones. All you've done is say, now you can hammer the phones and you can hammer online forms. So you've just doubled your problem because now we're getting hammered from a different avenue, which didn't exist. So you need to recognize what is the root cause problem. You need to go right back to the beginning and go, we need logistical wholesale changes. So what are the logistical wholesale changes? It's not about how patients are getting the appointments. It's that there are not enough appointments. Full stop. You can't get away from that fact. Those are your resources. Well, that's what you need to say. And I would explain to my patients and I explain to my colleagues as well, for every patient who complains, I go, this is the local email address and telephone number for the MP. This is the CCG. This is this. And we should be doing citywide. Go, every time a patient says, well, that's not good enough. The right response from the receptionist should be, I totally agree with you. You know, instead of that, you know, unfortunately, that stereotype Rockweiler shouting back and you shall not pass. No, tell the receptionist, agree with the patient. It is rubbish. You shouldn't have to wait four weeks to see me about something. I agree with you, it's rubbish. But listen, the problem is not us, and we really can't do more than we're doing. And I think you do see, and we had glimpses of that during COVID, that the population, patients, they do get it when they are spoken to and explained. So when the government said to patients, you will not see a GP, there will not be hospital appointments, there will be no face-to-face, forget your uh, elective surgery. Everyone just shut up and, and accepted it and said, okay, fine. I'm just going to have to talk to the GP on the phone. I'm never going to see one for the next few months unless it's X, Y, Z reason. Now, that, the reason that fell apart is because we didn't learn lessons from that. I think it all goes back to the story that you're telling yourself because the GPs are telling themselves that they're failing if they can't see the patients. The hospital doctors are telling themselves that they are failing if the GPs are getting cross with them or the patients are getting cross with them. And if you're telling yourself that you're failing at it, you'll then become very, very defensive and start fighting each other. If instead you say, yeah, you're totally right. There aren't enough appointments. It's crap, isn't it? Let's do something, you know, let's complain together, the patients, to the consultants, and you pass the problem upwards. Say, we have this massive problem here. That, that needs to be addressed. And you recognize that you've got limits. One of my big things at the moment is, is about professionals recognizing what their limits are and then saying, okay, those limits are actually good. The fact that I need to sleep, the fact that I need to rest and I can't do more than 10 hours work a day are good. And then those limits mean we have to then put in the boundaries. And there's a lot of people talking about how yeah, you just need to get your boundaries right, things like that. I don't think GPs have a problem with boundaries I think they say that they've got these boundaries what they have their problem with is the consequences of the boundaries a hundred percent a hundred percent I think I think there are no consequences I think and again it needs to be a wholesale change you need to bring everybody on this journey with you including your patients and including your local community and you can tell that you know there's some understanding patients which recognize the challenges that there are and they you know they're so grateful and thankful to see you and speak to you sometimes too grateful and thankful and you go look it's okay it's my job like I'm here to help you and then there's the other ones which are really you know they lack appreciation and you know what you were never going to win that person over on board so so don't stress yourself thinking you know but that person's still disappointed with this with the service they were always going to be disappointed with the service just be honest with yourself you haven't done anything wrong yeah yeah it's, it's until we stop thinking of those limits of our time the amount of appointments and the service as our own personal failures I'm not good enough the service is failing and then you feel dreadful actually yeah I have 24 hours in a day I can literally only see this many patients and if this and, and if I can't see anymore that's not a failure of me it's it's a failure of the system you you boot it up you you say what you say what's been happening but then it it's very difficult when you've got the mindset and, and it's not just doctors I think it's many other professionals I've seen this in lawyers and I've seen this in you know other other people that professionals but they're often giving a sort of service delivering a service seeing regular people that they find that right back to what we talked about at the beginning drawing that line in the sand mm. is a personal failure 
and 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 speak to them and then they don't try anything different or if they do try a little thing different they fail and that failure is dreadful so they go back to how it how it always was I get it you're pushed for time and with over 200 episodes how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. I mean, I think then they should reflect on whether they're doing what they really love or what they're passionate about. Like when we talk about how much time or, or lines in the sand, I can't reflect on that in my business at all. Like there's nothing in my business that says, oh, I shouldn't do more than five hours or no, because I love it. I'm passionate about it. The more effort I put in, the more energy I put in, the more I get out of it, the more I see my team grow and thrive and, and we're pushing in the right direction. So why do we have that kind of, burnout I want to run away from this problem mentality in in medicine why are you not saying actually I'm really enjoying this I love this you know I'm looking forward to this there's got to be something about that as well you know why are we not enjoying it as much as we should enjoy it why do we not have that variety in our day that when you do turn up because everything we've said now is about the doctor's perspective and obviously we're talking about our colleagues but being the other person's shoes imagine you're the patient I've waited three weeks to see this doctor and they don't recognize that they're patient number 300 to be seen this week. And this doctor needs to reset their compassion back to the beginning to see patient number 300. And it's very hard to reset your compassion back to zero when you're seeing patient number 300. This patient has mulled and thought about how they're going to word things and how they're going to describe their symptoms. They come in, they've got a frowning doctor, shattered, hungry, dehydrated, probably a bit of AKI in there as well because they've not been to the toilet for, for 12 hours. And that doctor's got no compassion, no time. What is your problem? What do you need? Go. So even, you know, you're defeating the whole purpose of what you're trying to do, which is I don't want to fail. I want to deliver a good service. Yeah, but it's inevitable because you're going to be shattered. You're going to not have compassion. And you forget that the, the name of the game is to turn up bright eyed, bushy tailed, you know, keen to solve people's problems, help them, listen to them. Sometimes you know their diagnosis in the first 10 seconds and you could prescribe the medication in the next 30 seconds, but just let them, you know, empty their chest a little bit, say a little bit, feel like they, they, they spoke to somebody, somebody heard them. That's part of medicine. And that's why people probably like the medical students or they, they like the registrars because they give them that time. And then the partners always scoff. I remember when I was training, the partners would always scoff. Like, well, obviously, you know, you listen to them. So that's why they like you more. It's like, yeah, do you guys not? Why do you not? You know, do you not reflect on that? Why are you why are you slamming through patients so quickly? You know, why are you not giving them the compassion? Something's got to change there because it means you're not even delivering the service that you wanted to, to deliver. I think there's a lot of, as you, you know, coming back to what you asked earlier, what could you change? I think more than a, a 10 series podcast to even cover that one. Yeah. I think we could possibly <laughs> solve all the problems in, in the healthcare service right now. But I'd just like to go back to how you get the change. And of course, there's loads of stuff about change management, about getting people on board and things like that. Now, it just strikes me that you've been particularly tenacious in, in getting these changes. And I know you've said to me, one of the phrases that really triggers you is that's the way that it's always been. So we're just going to carry oh, yeah. on, carry on like this. How do you maintain that, that, that mindset, that tenacity? I, I think because you have to pick your battles. And there's so many problems in any system, let alone the healthcare system and let alone, you know, working in a GP practice or outside of a GP practice. There's so many challenges and you need to pick your battles. And, and I can let a lot of things go by and I can get on with a lot of things. But when I hear the phrase, that's the way it's always been, you know, my God, like I, I start frothing at the mouth because it's just come on. Like if you told somebody that's the way it's always been, it means you recognize it's crap. You don't have the energy or the, now of how you're going to work with other people to fix this and we need to just pump the brakes stop and, and fix that thing that you just said that's the way it's always been because th there's nothing more i think destructive than hearing an organization recognize that they're crap you know and and it just means that there's no hope and i think when there is no hope that's where you get complete and utter 
utter yeah. you know despair because people are just like, well that's the way it's always been it's like what so that's it that that's it for life like we're just going to do keep doing this you know going around in circles so for me that always triggers me when somebody says that and then I get in this mentality of right I'm not going to settle for this and I'm going to do it whatever it takes and I think when I've had those kind of moments in my career or even outside of my career that's the attitude I always go in with is I'm not going to let this go until this is solved so there's a lot of things which are not optimized there's a lot of things that could be better and again that's probably for other people I let it slide I'm not going to lose sleep over it but when somebody says that's the way it's always been you know there's a big problem there and that's the one that I would focus on and trying to solve because you'll probably by trying to solve that fix lots of other issues along the way as well Mm. but that's where it's always been and we can't change it because we've tried I mean when you get that bit between your teeth think right that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna focus on and you know you said well where there's a will there's a way I'm not gonna settle how how do you know which things just you literally can't change you're just gonna leave and which ones you can how do you know which battles to pick so I think everything can be changed right but I would say in terms of knowing which kind of battles to pick, it's where you've got buy-in from people around you. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you're seeking um, feedback from users, it's the same thing. You talk to your colleagues and you say, you know, did you know we're doing so-and-so? And like, yeah. And I was, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's pretty rubbish. And have you guys ever attempted to, to do things differently there? Well, we did think about so-and-so. And when you do that kind of feedback and you get that, you gauge the warmth for what the issue is and how passionate people are about fixing it. And, and I think, you know, a lot of things we do, again, as medics is we can go down this really dark tunnel of coming up with these brilliant ideas. And after we've come up with an idea, and this is the same in the world of technology, actually, you come up with this brilliant product and then you try to hard clamp it onto your issue. Like, well, this is what I've built. So what I've built, I think is going to fix what we're doing. So you've gone the wrong way around. You need to start with what is the problem, analyze the problem, and then build what's going to fix that problem. And I think a lot of, again, you know, the e-consultation thing, you know, we're going to do this thing where patients can send in messages and we're going to have it so well organized. And then we're going to, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, is, was that the real problem here? You know, the real problem wasn't patients getting appointments. The problem was there are not enough appointments. And all you've done is create another problem now where we're drowning in how much demand there is for the service. And that's a really dangerous way of going about things. So I would always say, start with the problem try to get the kind of buy-in from others, get the warmth of what is their top three problems, and then together collectively bring people and say, right, so we've all agreed that's the main issue. What are we going to do to fix that issue? Rather than go the other way around it of, well, I heard about this thing which I think is going to work. Let's try that. And now you've just created another issue for yourself. That's very much the Simon Sinek start with why thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. why, why are we doing what we're doing? What, what we, you know, what we're doing and then how are we going to do it so why why do we have this problem what is the problem we've got patient demand that is that is the problem right now so actually yeah providing more appointments isn't going to help is actually fixing that 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 problem at the top but those seem like really big problems to address how can someone who is working in a workplace maybe they're part-time only Mm -hmm. doing a few sessions a week they can see that there are all these myriad of things that that need to be changed they might not be the boss they might not even be on the management team they might be just sort of doing doing a job but there's loads of stuff where would they even start so i think wherever you are however you're working whatever capacity you've got to see whether that is the right place for you and whether you're working with the right people as well so i would say you know so even for example when i've worked in practices for a few hours a week or a few weeks in a month thankfully the places that i've always worked at know me by name all the staff know me. And because of that, I feel very warm and very invited. And is there anything you think we could do differently? When you hear those kind of conversations, you know you're in the right kind of environment, you're in the right place. You try to help out, you try to contribute where you can, and you galvanize the team around you. So I think if you are a open-minded and wise GP partner, you will recognize that everybody is coming to this practice with their own history, with their own lived experiences. And you take from those people's experiences and you try to improve your practice, not just for the patients, but for yourself as well. If you turn up to a practice and they're not listening to you, they're not interested, that's the way it's always been. Look, don't, don't beat your head against the wall. You don't have to you know, hold the world to rights and, and change everything. Walk away from the practice. Walk away from that career. Walk away from, from that environment. You know, There's no point in you killing yourself for somebody 
or some organization that is not willing to change or trying to improve things. And the only person who's going to end up on that pile, that heap at the end of used and discarded is going to be you and your mental health and your physical health. And as a byproduct, unfortunately, you know, your family will suffer as well because they never see you. And when they do see you, you're tired and stressed. And now you've put on weight and now you feel miserable because you've let yourself down as well. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, you need to know that I'm going to give this a month two months and then that's my line in the sand if they don't want to listen they're not even interested in engaging in conversation I, I can't demonstrate that i've given any kind of value add to this project or where i'm working that's fine go go find something else and i think that's that's what people don't do unfortunately is you know going back to the kind of surgical career or, or that conveyor belt when times are crap as an sho don't worry when you're a registrar it's better and you talk to the registrar guys how's it going oh it's rubbish but don't worry when you're a consultant it's better and you talk to the consultant, you're like, mate, how's it going? To be honest with you, you know, I'm not having a really great time. I'm going through the middle of a divorce. I, I'm, I'm doing 80 hour weeks. I'm hardly getting that private practice, which I was really looking forward to doing. Okay, so this is not going to be for me, you know, and, and people need to recognize that quickly that some environments are, are not going to change, or if they are going to change, you're going to have to sacrifice so much for it. Is it worth it? And only you can answer that question. Is it really worth your life to sacrifice that change for? that little practice in Cornwall or that hospital department in London, whatever it may be. Yeah, I I 100% agree. I've lost count of the times where people have said to me, yeah, if if only they would change, it would be better. You know, I've got these ideas. They don't want me to do it. And and they have genuinely tried. And there's just been a, no, computer says, no, not going to do it. And it's about remaining in your zone of power. Like, what can you control if you can do something? And other people say, yeah, that's great. Do it but you cannot force someone else to be open-minded, to change, to want to change. And if someone's, you know, just sitting there and they, they're just going to last six more months, then they're out of there or whatever, then they are not necessarily going to want to make something that's going to be very disruptive and slightly painful to go through. And I a hundred percent agree, change what you can change. And sometimes that is changing, changing your workplace, because if you've got very intransigent colleagues and I, I, oh, so many times it's, oh, well, we think that person who's the complete blocker and a barrier, they're probably going to retire in the next couple of years. So we just have to hang on, Mm. hang on till then. And you think, well, okay, two more years, you don't even know if that person's going to retire. And actually, if the rest of the environment is allowing that person to carry on and no one else wants to change, then then really. Mm. Um, And it's always quite gobsmacking the way that we always stay where we're comfortable because we think things might change in the future. And that actually, they sort of, I don't know, in your experience, do they change that much? No, 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 no of, of course they don't, you know, because as you say, they're serving a purpose and we're all different. So other people have different thresholds of what they think is a good job. You know, some people would be like, well, we didn't kill anyone this week. We did a great job. But, <laughs> you know, that's, that's fine. That's your standard. And that's your, that's your line in the sand. That's not mine. You know, and, and, and for me, you know, the, the thing that I always, I'm, I'm one of the NHS clinical entrepreneur mentors as well. And a lot of the guys that I speak to, they're always going on about, okay, so, you know, I want to make this much money or I want to do this or blah, blah, blah. I go, that's fine. But I go, you know, one thing we haven't spoken about here is time. And time is more valuable than any of these numbers you've just been speaking about. And really, if you think about it, the only reason we drive ourselves earning and earning potential is because we want to win back time. We want to stop doing that kind of, you know, running in the sand. So when you talk about those people that are sat there going, I will invest two years waiting for this person to retire. Do you know how valuable two years is? You know, if, if somebody gave you a boatload of cash and said, do you want this cash that's at the end of two years? Or would you rather just have the two years and make the change from today? I think you would find a lot of people like, oh, I'm just happy to make the change today. I'd rather save the two years and the two years of pain and uncertainty. And I think a lot of people do not value time as much as they should. And we only really you know, look at other values, even monetary values. And I think we've got the wrong idea there. Mm, oh, totally. And that I've been reading a book all about time poverty and how, you know, money, money is, is, is useful to a point, but it, you cannot get time back. And a brilliant book out at the moment called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Bertman, because most of us have give or take around about 4,000 weeks on this planet. That, that is it. And if you are squandering that on a, a job that you're not quite sure will change, it's going to take out years of your life. Now, I think there is diff- there's a difference, isn't there, between saying, I choose to stay in this really difficult, tricky training job for three to six months 
so that I can get experience of this thing and tick some boxes on my forms and whatever and, and, and progress to do what I want towards what I want to do. But if it's just, I'm yeah, I've got to hang out here for another three years because this might change in the future just in case, but it's making me completely miserable now, then it's like, what, what are you, what are you doing with your, yourself? And I think as professionals, we are very good at using our time to make money for the future. So for this future, which sometimes never comes, it never comes, it never comes. And I, one of the, the best sort of careers advice I've had from people is you just need to enjoy, enjoy the journey, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy finding out what you want to do, enjoy going for the goals. It's never really the goals that are really great. It's the journey towards sitting there. I, I don't know what it's like, because obviously you run all these amazing med, med, tech, med tech businesses. And I guess, you know, it's really great having that product that's working in front of you. But if the only satisfaction you've got in life was, right, I've developed that project, product and that's a bit rubbish isn't it presumably you absolutely love the process of developing it and 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 doing it yeah of course because that's I think that's the difference is is that's the challenge which I can control the most aspects of so you know I I always say to the team you know when we're doing well we're doing well and when we're doing crap doesn't mean all of a sudden we become dumber you know everybody goes through challenges no such thing as as a perfect job but you want to know that you have been able to influence that journey, that job, that experience. And I think that's the bit that we get most frustrated about is you know what you'd want to change, but you can't influence things at work. And I think for a lot of people, yes, if you're so passionate about specific medical careers, then that's great because eventually you'll get to the point where you fully qualify, you're a consultant, you're the boss and you're in charge of your time. But again, you have to be really honest with yourself of are you really happy with what you're doing? Are you really going to be happy with what you're doing? You know, it's, it's that kind of, it's that fallacy of, for example, you know, people think, okay, I have money so I can afford a house. And I have more money, I can afford a bigger house, so now I'm not going to be in debt. Not really. Now you have a bigger house, you've got bigger debt. Now you've got a bigger house, you've got more furniture. You're going to be even more in debt. You know, this kind of, it's always catching up with us. It's always chasing us. And I think you've got to get yourself in a position where you are in control of your own destiny. And there's a really uh, warm feeling inside when you wake up and you realize, you know, what am I going to do today? And I, and, and I do think people can achieve that. And I, and I wouldn't want your listeners to ever think, you know, oh, Abdullah did this or that happened. Honestly, we all have the same medical degree. I cannot code. I'm purely a doctor. I genuinely don't have any other skill set other than that. But all I've done, I think, maybe differently from my colleagues is I've challenged things and I've said, well, I'm not happy about that. So I'm going to go take my toys and go play here instead. And that's worked out quite well for me. And it might not work out for you the first time, the second time, the third time. But recognizing the position you're coming from is not good enough is the starting point. Recognize that it's not good enough and start challenging yourself and trying things. Because honestly, when you're in that sweet spot, you know that this is, as you say, the journey is what you're enjoying, how you've created your environment around you to serve what you're trying to do. And I think what you've done is you've gone, okay, I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to take that risk of doing that. And I might fail. And in fact, I have failed several times. And that's how I've learned that that's not what I want to do. I want to do do this. And I think it's exactly the same in our jobs. You know, not everybody wants to go off and be an an entrepreneur and and, and work for themselves and develop these, you know, these products. But actually, it's a risk changing where you work. It's a risk taking on a slightly different role. It's a risk maybe cutting down a little bit so you have enough time so that the work fits in. All of these things are risks. And so we need to take that risk to see if we like it or not. And then if we don't like it, don't go, oh my gosh, I failed, aren't I awful? I'm just going to go back to that. It's like, great, I've learned, I've learned I don't like doing that. And I, I had a very interesting experience, of, you know, quite a while ago, three or four years ago, when someone sat me down for a bit of sort of coaching and it was like, okay, what does a successful life look to you? It's like, well, I'll be, I'll be, you know, I, I'm, I'll have achieved this and that. They're like, no, that's not what I asked. What does a successful life look to you literally what are you doing in this week of a successful life and I keep asking myself what does a successful life look like to me it looks like enough time to to be present for my kids to see my parents to hang out with friends to do enough exercise and do some hobbies and really enjoy what I'm doing during the day as well with something that gives me a bit of purpose and with mastery and autonomy as well and you know, if I look at what that life looks like, well, they need to have, need to have time to do that. And you need, you know, and I, I don't think I'm entirely there in terms of managing my diary. But if you're looking at what does a successful life look like, 
that's very different to what does a successful achievement look like to me? Because we chase achievement and we chase status. And at the end of the day, there's plenty of really miserable people that have reached the end of their careers, like you said, of several failed relationships and haven't really got anything. They've got huge amounts of money. They've been hugely successful in their lives, but actually, well, successful in their business, but are they really successful in their life? It's, it's mm. a really difficult conundrum. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that's there's a lot of mindset that needs to change. And we need to stop um, stop being ourselves up about it or stop worrying what other people will think about us or think about our decision making. You know, I, I think it's good to challenge things. I think it's good to try things. And I think people recognize that they'll like things more than they realize once they once they've tried. And it's like any kind of bug. You, you know, I, I can tell you from my kind of four and a half, five years experience of, of kind of going down the entrepreneurial route. In the first six months, I recognized, oh, this is actually something good. And the next year that passed, oh, actually, you know, these are the things we did wrong. These are things I want to do better. This is how we're going to grow. And I think once people start, you know, the hardest, hardest bit is starting. Once you start, you'll gain that momentum and you'll gain that confidence. And even when people challenge you, you know, what are you doing? You go, well, to be honest with you, only in six months, I've got to make myself this much happier. You don't need to demonstrate to people I've done this. It's not, as you say, it's not about trophies. It's just about saying, but look how much happier I am. I mean, something I always joke with my friends is, you know, my hair stopped falling out. You know, I could start playing football again and playing squash and I felt better and I felt more alive and I had more time for my family. And you can't put a monetary value on those kind of things. And I think people need to look at themselves as well. And, you know, I'm sure when they're listening to these kind of podcasts, you're not a million miles away from being there. You know, you're not in this kind of pit of despair and I wouldn't even know where to start. You probably it's probably just around the corner, to be honest with you. It's just made one change that'll lead on to the other changes, and then you'll you'll get to where you want to get to. What would you say to people that have these stories in their heads of yes, but I should keep going exactly how I I ought to? If you absolutely love it and you're passionate about what you do, go for it. More power to you. You know, you want to be the professor in the hospital and publish all those papers and travel the world and run the department and be at the beck and call of all the your colleagues and patients power to you because that's your version of success and that's the version of the life you want to live i'm very happy for you but it's the doctors that moan that kills me because i just think why are you it's it's i don't know if you've seen this video on youtube there's a a child grabbing onto a rope in some water crying their eyes out and and the seabed is just below them if they just put their feet down they'll touch the seabed and they're crying because they're too scared to put their feet down. And for me, it's the same with medics in, in general. This is obviously a sweeping statement, but, you know, why are you so upset? Why are you moaning so much? Why are you crying? Do you know how much variety there is available here for us? Do you know how many things you can do out of our programs, part-time, change career, switch into this, go to that, apply for some kind of secondary role, be a non-executive director there, be an advisor there? You know, once you do that little thing, you'll be like, actually, I really enjoyed being an advisor there. And, and, and now I'm more interested in, charity work which i didn't recognize before and that's now going to be your new your new career destination so i think yeah it's about just don't feel this pressure of you know i need to pursue something pursue it if you love it and if you don't love it then don't pursue it and try different things yeah i think a lot of the time we fear the loss of the status and the identity which goes with doing a a recognized medical medical role and big big fish small pond Mm, big fish small pond you know the the professors and the consultants and this is so and so yeah big fish in a very small pond the second she walks out of that department out of those double doors of the hospital nobody gives a crap who she is you know don't worry about that she's you know she's not she's not a walking god the big fish small pond there's a lot more to life than the four walls of a hospital or a GP practice yeah no one really cares about what your title is or whatever no, when, you, when you're sat around at dinner with friends do they I mean they just care about who you are exactly honestly nobody nobody cares when you go down to the supermarket nobody cares when you're on a plane nobody cares when you're going to the cinema nobody cares you know the only person you are doing this to is yourself and the people around you that care about you so do it for yourself and maybe for the people around you as well Brilliant. Oh, I think we could just keep on talking about this for, for ages and ages. But if, if you had to give people three top tips about if you're you're somewhere you can see something really needs to change, needs to something could be in, improved and, and actually you're in the right place, you're in the right place of work and you'd really like to try doing that. What would your three top tips be? I think 
first of all, don't be a moaner. Nobody likes a moaner and nobody likes a complainer. So the the first thing I'd say is just hold your tongue. Even though you are fully justified in moaning, complaining, going off the handle, don't lose the battle immediately by doing that. I think the second thing I would say is gain your allies, win people around you, bring people to your cause. You'll probably recognize that, or they'll recognize that they actually agree with you and you should be working on this together, but you just need to focus their efforts to join you in what you're trying to do. And then the third thing I'd say is, you need to take everybody on that journey with you. So even though you might be the decision maker or you've convinced the decision makers, it's never going to work if the people on the ground are not with you on that journey. So I think you need to have that kind of stepwise approach of have we answered everybody's questions? Have we looked at what the repercussions are? Have we set timeframes for how long we're going to test this for? Have we decided how we're going to implement these changes long-term if we wanted to do these things? And what are the goals we're going to measure this by so that we can decide whether this was a success or a failure and i think if people break problems down into those kind of steps they'll recognize you know that's much solvable than that that's a low-hanging fruit for us maybe we should go for that one first because sometimes building momentum is a good approach you know go for the easy wins get the easy wins under your belt get the momentum going and then you can turn to that big challenge that big task and you've got the momentum behind you and everybody else behind you and say to them, look, guys, look how we just succeed. Look how, how, how many changes we've brought about in the past six months. We can tackle this as well. We can do this as well. And you'll see that everybody will join you on that journey because they believe in you and believe in what you're trying to do. I would say three sort of personal tips in terms of being successful in, in enjoying your life. I would say map your life out. Map what you'd like your ideal working week to look like. What does this successful week look like to you? And we'll provide a download called the Thrive Week Planner that people can get if they want, if they want to do that. And measure your success by happiness and meaning and purpose, not by money as well. And, and work out where you're headed. You know, what, what do you want people to be saying about you, you know, at your funeral or at your retirement, you know, what were your values in life and then live consistent to that. And don't be frightened to change what you can change. And sometimes that might be where you're working. If you cannot control what other people do, you absolutely can't. And if you have tried and you can't get people to, to come with you, then you might be you might be in the wrong place. I think a really good book is all about icebergs and penguins, isn't it? Called Our Iceberg is Melting. I think that the, the, the penguin book, that's a really good book about change and how to bring people with you, which I'd really recommend as well. So thank you so much for joining us. If people wanted to find out more about you, the various things that you're running, and how can they contact you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm always um, happy to help people, support people. If people just want to chew the fat and, and, and talk about some ideas of what they're going through. So I think something I said to you is I'm, I'm passionate about trying to be the person I needed 10 years ago. And that's something that I would try to encourage people. It gives you a lot of satisfaction knowing you're helping somebody who was you effectively 10 years ago. If anybody wants to ever reach out to me, LinkedIn is a good way to reach out to me and, and you'll find my name there, Abdullah Albiati. I think I'm the only one. And on Instagram, if anybody wanted to reach out to me there, I don't know whether your uh, users use in- Instagram at all, but I'm the antidote as well. I think I've sent you the link if people wanted to find me there. Perfect. That's great. So thank you so much. That was absolutely brilliant. And I'm sure we have to get you back another time. There's lots more to talk about, but thanks for, thanks for sharing all that. Very kindly. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.